I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast. With so many children out of school indefinitely, it's hard to know how the coronavirus break may impact their learning. There's already debate about whether to give lessons at home or let your children watch movies and relax. I reached out to Jennifer McCombs, a senior researcher at the Rand Corporation. She's long studied how to use time out of school, like the summer, to combat learning loss. I wondered what summer break might already be able to tell us about what happens when kids aren't in school. The picture is a little bit complex about how summer affects students' learning trajectories over time. So one thing that we know very clearly is that academic progress slows during the summer, right? Which makes sense because kids are not receiving formal instruction. If we didn't see that, I think we'd be a lot more concerned about schools. (laughs) But the reality Mm -hmm. is that it's very clear that academic progress is slowing because kids are not spending engaged time in academic content. However, the direction of average academic progress over the summer is a little bit unclear. So some of the foundational research in that space from the late 80s and 90s pretty clearly showed summer learning loss across the board for all students in mathematics um, in particular, and then also in reading with low-income students facing the largest losses in reading. That work is like the seminal piece coming out of that era is Harris Cooper and his colleagues' um, meta-analysis on summer learning loss. More recent literature, so kind of from 2000 on, which has primarily used data from the NWEA, which tracks kids in grades one through nine in several states and districts across the country are using that. And also through the Eccles K, which is tracking sort of the much younger grades, so these early learning cohorts. And there, the evidence emerging from that is a little bit more mixed. Some studies are finding that there is loss Kids are losing ground over the summer, although the effect sizes that they're finding are slightly more reduced than what was found in earlier work. Other studies are finding that kids are maintaining, and others show that it's sort of across the board on average that they actually might be gaining a little. The picture overall is a little less clear about how summer and the gravity of summer on kids' learning trajectories. However, across the board in all of these studies, from the very early studies through the more modern studies, low-income students are falling behind their higher-income peers during the summer months. And so that is very consistent over time. That is the group that I think that districts and society needs to be most concerned about during this period. So is there really any easy way to understand why it happens? Is it just you're not constantly exposed to other kids and you're just watching TV or something. You can go to the the learning literature overall about how kids learn and also how adults learn. And then also how learning decays, which is a little bit helpful in understanding the mechanisms that happen. So we know that learning happens over periods of time. So learning that is like small repeats of information spread out over sort of a number of weeks is more effective than say an eight hour block of just content Mm -hmm. at one given time that lasts longer. 
all the academic skills will decay over time if it's not used on a daily basis, and particularly if it's procedural in nature. This is one reason why people hypothesize that for mathematics in particular, where kids are less likely to practice some of those concepts just in an ordinary day, that that may, where we see sort of some greater losses across the board from the earlier literature. We also know that once you've learned something, it's easier to relearn it, right? You learn it faster. So mm. if I've taught you something and then you kind of forget how to do it, if I reintroduce it, you're able to pick it up a little bit more easily. So we're not starting from square one on these things. And I think as adults, if we think about what we used to know when we were kids that we don't use in our daily basis anymore, I think that we find this like when we're actually reteaching kids some concepts that they might have in school, where I will tend to find, I was like, oh, I actually need to look that up really quickly to figure out, do I really know this? And how well do I know it? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, can pretty much remember it, understand, and then be able to teach it. And so this is happening to kids too, when they are not in school and not using things and using their muscles. When we think about why summer may more negatively impact low-income students, there are a number of hypotheses that are put forward. And one is that they have less access to engaging, enriching activities relative to their higher-income peers. While middle-income parents and high-income parents are sending kids to sort of fancy camps, engaging STEM things, um, those are less accessible to students from low-income families. We also know that for low-income students, that food insecurity increases during the summer months and that physical activity actually ends up declining. So students face a number of risks during the summer months. And as we're thinking about, you know, what if summer lasts for six months, which is kind of what we're all kind of looking at, this is a group to really think about how can districts, communities help create more equitable outcomes because I think that we potentially are at risk of exacerbating inequity during this period. As a parent, I wonder, is there a certain length of time where we need to worry yeah. about learning loss? If you look at the country right now, some schools have closed through the end of the school year. Some are closed for three weeks, potentially longer. We don't really know. Right. Yeah, and so I would say that in terms of like what's the magic threshold, we actually don't really know, right? So all of these studies that have been conducted have been conducted around sort of the summer months, which are typically like three months of time over the summer that kids aren't in school. Mm -hmm. So anywhere from like eight to 12 weeks. We also know though that kids regularly have one or two week breaks from school during the school year and we don't worry about it. Right. So there's, you know, winter breaks, there's spring breaks where kids are not engaged in academic learning. And as a society, we don't really worry one way or another. And I think that where it's more concerning now and more unknown is that the length of time is potentially greater. So in my school districts, for instance, there's no academic instruction for the next two weeks. And then what I think people are preparing for and expect is that they'll be switching to online learning for the rest of the school mm -hmm. year. And I think that sort of across the board, even when sort of like academic instruction might kick back in, it's going to potentially look different and feel different for families and students. So obviously that online learning bit does raise the red flag regarding 
low-income students because mm-hmm. we have to imagine so many of them just don't have the access to... Yeah, access to... is a huge, tremendous issue that I know that districts are grappling with. And it's been interesting to see districts sort of like move into motion on this. And you see a lot of them where they're serving a population of students who are from low-income families. That The first thing that they did was they moved to still feed kids, right? The schools provide Mm -hmm. a needed source of food and nutrition for many students. And so, you know, districts first work to figure out like, how is it that we are going to be able to feed kids and ensure that they have some basic needs met during these school months where they really were not prepared to be, you know, putting up meal sites. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of them have done that really successfully. And then the, simultaneously, what you see them working on is how is it that we are going to get and be able to ensure that each family has the computer and internet access that they will need so that kids can access online learning. Uh-huh. So it's not just a matter of getting laptops to kids. It's also a matter of ensuring that they're able to connect to the internet. I've also been thinking about there are a number of students who have very specific IEPs who are receiving a lot of services. Some of them may not be easy to replace online, things like around occupational therapy and things like that. And I think that that's another challenge that districts are going to be facing during this time. Is there anything that we could borrow from, let's imagine this goes beyond Mm -hmm. a couple weeks, and we already know in some districts that's definitely going to be the case. Is there anything we can learn or take from what we know about summer learning loss and and apply it now? I think that in terms of our responses, we do know that some home learning can be effective. Right. So, for instance, Jimmy Kim from Harvard, his Project Reads program has been proven Mm -hmm. to be effective. We could think about different ways of expanding that out. Um, We also know that there's a lot of online content that's available to children and youth, and a lot of that has proven effectiveness. Now, one thing that I think the districts could also learn from just summer programming in general is that as they're thinking about how to structure this is that it may be better to create common online lessons for students and teachers to utilize as opposed to having each teacher create their own assignments. One of the things that we learned from our evaluations of um, summer learning programs was that particularly during the summer where teachers have very limited time to plan and certainly teachers now have not been planning for online instruction right the content that was provided was much more robust if there was a standardized curriculum that was utilized and also the teachers appreciated it this was something that was actually surprising this was a time when they actually wanted something to be able to fall back on and i think that one thing that districts could do is to be able to think about you know creating these standardized modules that teachers are able to utilize and administer to um, their students and that might be helpful Districts may also be thinking about different ways to utilize summer. Mm -hmm. For instance, if we find that school is shut down, but that we are actually able to reopen during summer, they might be thinking about expanding um, summer learning opportunities and expanding the breadth of students that those are offered to. 
um, to help provide additional time and instruction during those months to be able to focus on things where in-person live instruction is most effective and for populations of kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting because I've also been thinking about are there opportunities that this provides kids and are there things that we as parents can do to maximize um, some benefits? And it's interesting because I, I think about sort of how parents are dealing with these situations, what they're going to have to do and what's required of them to be able to continue learning looks really different depending on the age of their kids Mm-hmm. For little ones like you have, you need a lot more sort of like adult directed instruction. Whereas right. like for my high school student, she's a junior in high school, she really can self-regulate. And there actually mm-hmm. isn't a lot that I could necessarily do mm-hmm. to facilitate her learning. But I think that there are also some opportunities in just thinking about how to use this time to further goals, right? So for my daughter, one of her English teachers had them as an optional activity to be researching colleges and to start developing their college essays. Like, how can we all think mm-hmm. creatively about utilizing this time to maximize what our goals are for kids? Right. We have a lot of parents who are also in a time of crisis, right? So we have a lot of people who are losing jobs during this period of time. So there's a lot more stress on families and children, just in terms of thinking about what the economic ramifications are, as well as juggling sort of like new work schedules, new routines, and all of those things. It's good to be mindful of that as we're going forward. I know districts are thinking about this, but I think we as parents also have to acknowledge that, whatever our situation is, how that may be affecting kids. And that kids are losing a lot more than just academic instruction. And in some ways that might be the easiest thing for us to replace, you know, through online learning, to be thinking about different things that they could be doing to utilize their time effectively. But they're also losing social interaction. They're losing sports and extracurricular activities. And those might be harder to replace if we're not really attentive to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's worth thinking about sort of like how we can think creatively of replacing all of those things for kids during this time, which can be pretty stressful. That also does raise the issue of inequity because low-income families may have what we already know they may have harder work schedules and have to still go into work for their jobs and all that type of thing but I do see this debate kind of bubbling right now about whether you should be attempting to do anything at home with your kid or just letting them lay around. Where do you stand on that? You know, every parent is going to address this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I think that in general, parents often know the needs of their kids best. Mm-hmm. If people have given their kids a week or two off from doing things, there's right. no evidence that would suggest that they're endangering their children in any kind of way. But we also know that kids, they thrive from some sort of structure and they also thrive with various types of play with often engages like other kids, right? So during the summer months, even Mm -hmm. when kids are not necessarily engaged in formal activities, like some kids are, they're going to camps, right? Mm -hmm. They have structured activities during the day. Um, But even when they're not necessarily, they are often outdoors, they're playing with friends, they are able to explore, they're developing different types of skills and having different types of opportunities that may not be available to them 
due to the social distancing. As schools translate to online learning, we will be creating some structures around this. Definitely routines are good for kids, but it also could be a time for parents with older kids to enable them to practice different types of skills, right? Giving them an opportunity to create their own schedule and try to figure out how they're going to manage their day so that they can learn and grow those Mm -hmm. different types of skills. Also, we don't have to replace every single hour, Mm -hmm. particularly when we're giving sort of like one-on-one attention to our kids. It's really engaged time in academic learning that's creating the learning, not necessarily the number of academic minutes in a school day. There could be benefits, right? Teenagers, we also know from research that um, school schedules are not ideal for teenagers, right? The recommendations are that kids really should not be starting school until after 8.30. We can let our teens sleep in a little bit. Maybe not let them sleep till 1.00 but give them a little bit more sleep and let them have a little bit more of a schedule that fits their physiological needs. I also think that we need to think about ways, like how are we gonna ensure that our kids maintain physical activity, sort of so that they're staying healthy, and then how also are we helping them connect to friends and ensuring that there is space for that as well as space for academics. So it's definitely going to be an interesting time going forward. It's an interesting time for everyone. I think all families are facing challenges during this time and just figuring out what a new normal is um, and how to Mm -hmm. best negotiate that. Jennifer McCombs is a senior policy researcher and director of the Behavioral and Policy Science Department at the RAND Corporation. I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast produced by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.